Hello, listeners, and welcome back to VoiceOver Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Today is October 26th, 2022. From his recent book, Train Your Empathy, by Patrick King, if you have trouble connecting with others, keeping long-term friendships, or constantly have conflict, this book is for you. You'll learn the ins and outs of how to listen, validate, and get to the root of any issue, the emotional impact. This is a true interpersonal superpower. Stay tuned for the chapter-by-chapter -chapter preview of Patrick King's book, Train Your Empathy. Chapter 1. Understanding Empathy and Why We Need It The Neurobiology of Empathy Empathy is the only human superpower. It can shrink distance, cut through social and power hierarchies, transcend differences, and provoke political and social change. Elizabeth Thomas Empathy is a beautiful thing. When we have empathy, our world becomes bigger because we're able to share in the world of others and feel the satisfaction of knowing that they can see into our own. Empathy brings depth and meaning to our relationships, all kinds of relationships, and helps us smooth over conflict and misunderstanding. Empathy is not just for the sake of others, though. If we develop empathy in ourselves, we can't help but find that we have more of it for ourselves. Empathy allows us to be more creative, more resilient, and more innovative when it comes to solving problems. With empathy, we become more self-compassionate, self-aware, and fully rounded individuals. But while everyone can agree that empathy is great, the unfortunate truth is that we are rapidly becoming a world that has forgotten what it means to walk in someone else's shoes. A now notorious study conducted from 1979 to 2009 found that people's overall empathy scores dropped an astonishing 48%, and this is not including the last decade of drastically increased social media narcissism, political division, and cultural isolation. Empathy is simply the ability to take on the perspective of someone else. It means being able to see that your beliefs and biases are not objective reality, but merely a lens through which you view objective reality, and that everyone has their own lens, too. Empathy is the social, familial, and cultural glue holding together the networks of social interaction. Without it, it's hard to imagine how humankind could ever have evolved. But today, we're getting a glimpse of what the world looks like when we fail to think and feel outside of our own bubbles. Why is empathy becoming rarer? Perhaps it's generational differences in parenting styles. Perhaps it's a feature of hyper-individualistic, late-stage capitalist societies. Perhaps the Internet has eroded more meaningful forms of human engagement. Whatever the cause, and it's likely to be a mix of all of the above and more, You've probably picked up this book because you're interested in learning to develop your own capacity to feel for your fellow human being. Whether you've had difficulties in this area in the past, or you're someone who wants to improve their natural empathic abilities, you'll undoubtedly find something in this book to help. We'll be looking at what empathy really is and how you can start to be kinder, 
more understanding, and more compassionate in small ways today. We'll consider some underappreciated ways to developing an empathic mindset, including how to perspective switch, what to do to deepen your listening, and how to maintain the orientation of curiosity that is so important for anyone wishing to be more compassionate. Finally, we'll look at ways to take our empathy skills and apply them to trickier situations like conflict, asserting boundaries, or saying no without jeopardizing a sense of connection. What Empathy Is Empathy is a fundamental part of our neurobiology. Yes, even if you don't currently consider yourself. Chapter 2. How to Discover and Flex Your Empathy Muscles Why Reading Makes You More Empathic A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies, at least according to George R. R. Martin, American novelist and creator of the fantasy universe, that inspired the international TV hit Game of Thrones. People read fiction for many reasons, but one of literature's most unappreciated benefits is that it may actually make you a more empathic human being. Reading, or more specifically, reading fiction, can be the perfect tool to help you practice stepping outside of your own perspective and into the perspective of someone else, even if that someone else is just make-believe. In the pages of a book, we can go deep inside the hearts and minds of people who inhabit experiences that may be completely alien to our own and see them through our own eyes. We see what makes the villain tick, and we get to try on the frame of mind that inspires the hero to undertake his feats of bravery. We encounter firsthand the motivations and justifications of people who live in a universe far apart from our own, one that runs on completely different rules. The great thing is that reading doesn't feel like hard work. Getting inside the heads of the characters is simply something we do to enjoy the story and understand the narrative as it unfolds. The magic is that, somehow, engaging empathically with these narratives makes us better at navigating the perspectives of real people in real life, once we put the book down. A 2009 paper by Aram and Avaram in the journal Reading Psychology suggests that the benefits of reading may be more properly understood as the benefits of the stories themselves, since young children tend to show more empathy simply by knowing lots of well-known fairy tales or having parents who read to them, even if they can't read themselves. Thus, the empathy power of reading can be gleaned even before someone knows how to read. The key is in the ability to switch perspectives. A 2014 Journal of Applied Social Psychology article by Kapotza et al. similarly found that teenagers and young adults who read are more empathic and tolerant of differences in others. The decrease in prejudice and bias was credited in particular to stories like the Harry Potter series, where young readers are encouraged to feel for characters who were treated unfairly or as outcasts, while similarly thinking about their own privileges, blind spots, and unique difficulties. The authors of the study concluded, 
that reading could make people more tolerant and accepting of immigrants, gay and lesbian people, and refugees, explaining that the world of Harry Potter is characterized by strict social hierarchies and resulting prejudices with obvious parallels in our society. Although the story contains stigma and prejudice of a completely different kind, people with magical powers versus those without, the overall effect is to broaden perspectives and promote understanding. The very same scientists conducted another piece of research where participants were asked to read the book Saffron Dreams. In this fictional story, a Middle Eastern Muslim woman tells of experiencing racism while living in New York. Chapter 3. Accounting for Bias, Prejudice, Ego, and Perspective Root Out Bias and Prejudice Emotional literacy and awareness of your own emotions are two great ways to become a more empathic person. But even with emotional intelligence and self-awareness, you can still fail to have real empathy if you hold on to bias and prejudice. A preconceived notion about who another person is may be the single biggest obstacle on the path to genuine empathy for them. Prejudice and bias are two major blind spots. To be more empathic, we need to take responsibility for them and commit to being more open-minded. When people hear the words prejudice and bias, they may immediately think of things like racism or sexism, or jumping to conclusions about those with disabilities or people from a religion they don't really understand. Can things like racism and sexism get in the way of genuine empathy? Of course. But the question of prejudice and empathy goes much, much deeper than this. Let's pause for a moment and look a little more closely at an interesting word, kin. You'll see all traces of it in English words such as akin, meaning alike or similar in kind, kinship, kindred. This word has Indo-European roots and comes from the old Germanic term meaning to give birth to. This root also branches from the old Norse term kunder, meaning child. Your kin, then, are those who are your family. The related Old Saxon term kuni refers to kind, race, or tribe. The Dutch kuna means sex or gender. And the Old English kin means family, race, kind, sort, rank, or nature. So we can understand the word to refer not just to blood family, but to tribes, community, and those who are similar to us. But we can also see traces of this interesting word's history in the two meanings of kind, a word used to depict compassion and kindness, as well as type, class, or family. He lived with his kind. The implication is that if someone is of your kind, you are kind to them. Without going much deeper into the etymology, it should be clear that for human beings, there are powerful and ancient connections between sameness and compassion. It's a given that we are empathic toward our own kind and less so to those who are strange and unknown to us. Again, we see that for human beings, our emotional reality has a deep and ancient physiological basis. After all, isn't maternal love the prototype for all other forms of human kindness? Don't we speak of brotherly love 
as the highest and strongest bond between human beings? To return to bias and prejudice, then, whenever we prejudge the root of the word prejudice, we decide that a person is unlike ourselves. They are not in our family or tribe, and when we do that, we deliberately close off a potential feeling of kinship and connection with them. While it is true that human beings belong to many different groups that are genuinely not alike, the mere fact of classing another human being into a category different from our own makes it harder to feel that they are our kin, in other words, to have empathy for them. So, what does it really mean to remove bias and prejudice? Chapter 4. Listening is Empathy in Action Don't just listen actively, listen empathically. In this chapter, we're going to elaborate on the principle of getting our own egos and preconceptions out of the way so we can more clearly and genuinely see the person in front of us, i.e. empathize. When we listen to another person, we're not just being quiet and giving them a turn on the soapbox. Rather, we're creating an open space for them to be themselves, their real selves. To inhabit another person's worldview and deeply comprehend their state of mind and heart, you first need to actually know what it is, and this means listening. Too often, we listen with an agenda. We hear the person, but as we listen, we're busy deciding whether we agree or not, deciding how much their situation or opinion is like ours, thinking of something we can say that is similar to what they're saying, but which is about us, thinking about whether their account is accurate and reasonable, or whether we trust their recollection or the conclusions they're coming to, making a judgment on the rationality or appropriateness of their experience, trying to find an overarching theme of theory to put their experience in a neat little box, dreaming up solutions to their problem, including the problem of how they feel. Listening for only those things we already know, like, or understand, and ignoring the other bits. Thinking of the interesting and impressive thing we'll say once they stop talking, and so on. The temptation to do all the above is strong. But when we listen, that's all we do. Listen. Nothing else. Temporarily, we immerse in the world of another and step out of our own. In this new world, the other person is telling the story, and they decide what things mean. Our only job is to witness it as it's told. To do this, we suspend our own ego, our own assumptions, i.e., our own story, so that we can more clearly comprehend theirs. Empathic listening, then, is hard work. It requires us to be sensitive, alert, and respectful. We need to make an emotional connection. We need to open our perception so that we are genuinely hearing without judgment or without putting our own interpretations and assumptions into the mix. Empathy requires that we are accepting, supportive, and encouraging, yes, but our first job is to just be completely 100% present. Empathic listening is not just passively keeping quiet, but rather a subtle art 
composed of many separate skills. Skill 1. Maximum Attention You've probably noticed, people all over the planet are seriously unhappy. Many people feel depressed, sad, lost, and alone. In an age of fractured attention spans and the relentless pressure to market and promote oneself as a product, many of us are feeling ignored, unseen, and unknown. The world around us is morphing and reshaping in complex and sometimes threatening ways, and yet one thing remains the same. Human beings all have a deep, almost primal hunger to belong. We all want to feel safe. Chapter 5. Injecting Empathy into Daily Life Be still and reflect. Here's the story of two good friends, Skye and Lake. One day, Lake asked Skye, What's it like to be you? Skye thought about it for a moment, and then created a few impressively shaped clouds. Like this, said Skye. Lake went very quiet and still, until his surface was like a mirror. In a few moments, the clouds that Skye had made were perfectly reflected on the surface of Lake. Ah, oh, I see what you mean, said Lake. When we listen empathically and reflect, what we're doing is going quiet and still within ourselves so we can receive as accurate a picture of the other person's account as possible. Then we can hold up that same account and show it back to the speaker, asking, Is this right? Is this what you mean? And in the same way that a lake has to be free of ripples and waves to accurately reflect the sky, we need to be still and free from our own mental noise, prejudice, and ego to properly receive and reflect the narrative someone else is sharing. In our little story, the lake and the sky reflect each other so well that they are actually showing one another the same image. In a truly empathic connection, people can likewise feel that they get one another, that they are on the same wavelength, and that there is a real sense of in-tune conversation going on. If you think about it, the only one who can say whether you've been empathic or not is the person you're listening to. Only they can confirm whether you have actually understood them. So why not ask? Well, reflecting is a way to check that you have, in fact, heard. Being empathic and kind doesn't mean we have to be psychic, after all. When you reflect an accurate picture to the speaker, you convey empathy because you're essentially saying, I see what you mean, but also, is this what you mean? You're providing them with that precious sense of being seen, validated, and understood. You show that you're listening and that you care, and that feels good. It strengthens a feeling of trust and connection and helps you become a better and more humble conversationalist. With reflective, empathic listening, you're inviting the other person to have a more authentic, more connected relationship with you and asking them to teach you about what they need. It also helps you avoid potential misunderstandings or hurt feelings. Psychologist Dr. Ann Vertel uses reflective listening in her practice and says, If you reflect back to someone what they are feeling, you meet them right where they are emotionally. 
you've connected with them. They don't feel quite so alone with this feeling. But that's not all reflective listening can be used for. When you reflect, you may very well help the other person to better understand their own emotional experiences. By receiving, focusing, and reflecting what you're told, you show them aspects they might not have seen before or simply validate what they haven't felt confident enough to admit they already know. In other words, by attempting to gain more clarity, you invite them to do the same. As you articulate their experience, they learn to better articulate it for themselves. What a gift to share with someone you care about. Chapter 6. Empathic Communication is the Ultimate Goal The Power of Empathic Statements Stephen Covey, well-loved author of bestseller The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says that when we communicate, we should first seek to understand, then to be understood. Similarly, when communicating empathically with others, we should first listen, then speak. In the previous section, we explored how we can use words to reflect back the speaker's emotional reality, which shows support, validation, and a perspective on the problem they may not have seen before. But of course, at some point, you're going to want to say something a bit more. Words can be powerful. When people are upset, we need to pay special attention to how we verbally validate their experience, encourage them, and show our empathy. Easier said than done. Before we begin, let's reiterate the difference between sympathy and empathy. Having sympathy means feeling pity for someone else's misfortune. It means feeling sorry for them. Note, these are feelings you experience in response to someone else's situation. Having empathy, however, means understanding their feelings. It's a question of perspective-taking and of feeling with someone rather than standing outside their experience, looking in, and being aware only of your own emotional response to it. Sympathy can increase the distance between people. Empathy can shorten it. What to say, what not to say. Renowned shame researcher and author Brene Brown says, Rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. This means that if we're ever talking to someone and unsure if what we're about to say will help, we can ask whether it comes from a place of acknowledging their emotions, empathy, or if it's simply a reflection of our own, sympathy. We can ask whether what we say creates more or less emotional connection. Take a look at a few things to avoid saying. Avoid deflecting. In other words, turning the conversation away from the difficult or painful thing that has just been shared. People can do this because they feel uncomfortable with the emotions shared or uncomfortable with their own ability to do anything to help. This awkwardness is their emotion, however, and in letting it lead, the other person can feel embarrassed, alone, even insulted. Examples? I've had the worst day of my life. I just want to get in bed and never get out again. 
Whoa, that, uh, that sounds rough. By the way, did you remember to pick up milk? After she said that, I've never been the same again, to be honest. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Women, huh. Are you getting the next round? Sometimes I wonder what it's all about, you know? Like, would anyone actually care if I wasn't here anymore? Yeah. Well, I think I better be going. I'll let you get back to your work. Good luck. Avoid diminishing. When we diminish... You've just listened to voiceover work and audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? This is your host, Russell. Thanks for joining us today. Check back in three or four days for our next audiobook preview.